The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. We'll we got a cup of coffee in here, please? Damn good coffee and hot. Good morning, people of Earth. How are you? It's Friday. You should be okay. Happy? If you're in the Midwest or Southwest, Southeast, South Central part of the country, uh, the freeze is probably over for you, but it's about to get here. It's already here, but it's going to get worse. Uh, anyway, good morning. It is Friday, February 3rd, 2023, and I'm about to freeze my butt off. According to the National Weather Service, we're going to have wind chills, and you know how I poo-poo wind chills, of minus 65. Minus 65 with wind chills. Wow, that's freaking cold. Uh, Drew Vernon, who is the marketing director for Tony's, former uh, Lego guy, will be with me today. Um, yesterday, I'm going to get to a couple of, run through a couple of weird things. Yesterday, uh was revealed that over the Dakotas and, you know, those northern freezing cold states in the United States of America, there is a Chinese, well, they call it a Chinese balloon, but they're not sure it's a Chinese balloon. The Pentagon is sure. I'm not so sure. It's supposedly the size of three buses. It's up there. It's got a um, technical tech way station underneath it. Uh, looks like the moon, if you're just looking it up. And they say this stuff happens all the time. There's nothing to worry about, but it's over, like, sensitive military installations. And... Um, it is something to worry about. It's always something to worry about when you have that kind of stuff. Now, a Chinese China says it's looking into it. <laughs> you don't expect them to be honest, first of all, if it is Chinese and probably is, but not necessarily. You don't expect them to say, yeah, it's us. We were just spying on you. Don't worry about it. Uh, and uh, if it is dangerous at all, and you got to think, you know, you're over nuclear bases. What are you doing over there? It's probably dangerous. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. There's nothing you can, you or I can do about it. Except get more lollipops and more edibles and more gummies. My guest today probably won't like me talking about that stuff. It's all about kids and uh, childhood development and power of storytelling and all that kind of stuff. Maybe I should lay off the lollipop and gummies talk <laughs> anyway so that was going on yesterday and it's still going on they don't want to shoot it down because first of all it's a balloon and you can't really control where they go now it's it's holding it looks like a small factory underneath it <laughs> it looks like but it's got to have some weight to it and if you shoot it down who knows where it's going to land or, or who it's going to land on. So they don't want to shoot it down. There's got to be a way to take it down without, you know, I don't know. There has to be a way. Where there's a will, there's a way to, to bring it down without hurting anybody. Chinese weather, are you worried about it? Nah, me neither. Uh, just buy, let's buy more of those things I'm not going to talk about. Um Yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled that a law saying people who had an order of protection of, uh, against them for domestic violence couldn't buy guns was unconstitutional. In other words, we want people who have orders of protection against them, restraining orders, we want them to be able to buy guns. 
It makes sense, right? And the reason the Supreme Court gave for this was that the founders would have wanted that. The founders would have wanted that. That's nice. Let me just tell you something. The founders wouldn't give two shits about women be, uh, who were victims of domestic abuse. They had something called the rule of thumb. The rule of thumb stated that you couldn't beat your wife with a stick that was any fatter than your thumb. But if it was the size of your thumb, that's cool. Women were property. So you can't make judgments on what's right and wrong in today's society based on what some guys did 250 years ago or what they would have done. Uh, what is what is the uh, harpoon it so you can oh the balloon with harpoon it so you can drag it down and <laughs> eat is balloon and I think harpooning it it would just take off right I don't know but back on the uh, Supreme Court thing for a moment here I'm not sure that this has anything to do with this, the Second Amendment right this is what I talked about and people were like oh well there's laws to protect that back when we were discussing Second Amendment rights months ago. We talk about crazy people. And I'm not saying everybody who has a restraining order against them is crazy, but a lot of them are. Um, and it's we, we tend to be oversimplify things and just say, well, it's toxic masculinity. What it is is antisocial behavior. And more men have it than women. And if you're crazy, we should make it harder for you to get guns. Even if, listen, we have a legal system and you are innocent until proven guilty. But if you have a restraining order against you, somebody has found, some judge has found good reason to keep you away from somebody. And it's quite likely most people who get restraining orders against them violate them at some point. You don't want to fucking arm them. You know what? You want to be able to buy a gun? Behave yourself. Get get rid of your restraining orders. Prove to the court that you can <laughs> be a good citizen and not threaten people. And then you can get guns. Well, obviously, I'm wrong. I am wrong. That's not the way it's going to work. The way it's going to work is, sure, get a gun. We know that you beat your wife. We know that you've threatened to kill her. Oh, what about it? Get a gun. That's what the founders would have wanted. Ben Franklin would have wanted that while he was fucking everything in sight. I don't think Ben Franklin would have wanted that. <laughs> I think Ben Franklin would have been worried that the husbands of of the women he was fucking were going to shoot him. I'm sorry, it's supposed to be a kid-friendly show today. Not really. Um, anyway, so that went on yesterday. What else went on yesterday? Oh, that was uh, kind of uh, striking in the news. Um, Dallas Zoo is being sabotaged. Uh, Here's what we know. I don't care about that. Dallas is getting uh, sabotaged. What was the one story that got me interested in it? I can't see it. It's gone now. The trending stories have, have now left me. Um, but, 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 but top stories. U.S. added uh, 517,000 jobs last month. This is the problem. Uh, not a problem. It's not a problem to add jobs. It's a problem to try to judge the economy and how we're doing economically against old mo old models of how we judge a, a healthy economy. Yeah, job growth. That sounds like phenomenal. Almost a half a, over a half a million new jobs in one month. Sounds good. But when the price of eggs is reaching the price of you know diamond rings. How healthy is the economy? The thing with the egg stuff got me confused. Dave, Dirty Dave, the Diabolical Dave, Dastardly Dave, 
Sidwell. Clued me in that he used to be a chicken farmer. And the reason for the egg stuff was a a very uh, virulent strain of avian flu was taking out chickens, making their shortage of eggs. This is what Dave told me. And I did some fact-checking. It seemed that that is the claim. But here's the thing. Because <laughs> I went, I do the grocery shopping here. And I went to the supermarket and eggs were, you know, what people have been complaining about. Prices are going through the roof. But chicken, the price has gone down. It doesn't make sense, I tell you. <laughs> if avian flu and chicken uh, is the reason behind this because chickens are dying and there's a shortage of eggs, how come chicken prices are going down while egg prices are going up? That makes no sense. My wife says it's all a big conspiracy theory. They're all lying to us. They're just picking things to to they. Well, she's a conspiracy theorist on this stuff. I don't know. I don't necessarily give any credence to that whatsoever. But I know it doesn't make sense. If avian flu is wiping out chickens, making egg prices higher, you would think chicken prices would come down. I'll go up too. But they're not. They're coming down. They went down in the last two weeks. The other part of that is, if there's avian flu, why are we still eating chicken? <laughs> uh, we almost, according to the scare at the time, 2004, when avian flu was a big thing in the news, we almost let that get out of control. If there's any hint of, you know, Avian flu, swine flu, whatever that, I forget the name, the numbers on it, let, numbers and letters, call letters like a like a radio station uh, virus. Whatever that is, we, you know, we take a chance by continuing to consume the product that's coming out. I don't want to repeat of people to get all over me. Ah, he's, he's talking about eating animals. That's what we do. Sorry, Peter people. That's what we do. I hope my guest isn't a, a Peter person who's going to be mad at me now. Uh, my guest today is Drew Vernon. Drew is the marketing director for Tony's, where he leads Tony's for teachers. You know what Tony's are? If you're old like me, you don't know what Tony's are. It appears to be a box that has like a speaker on it. And I'm not sure what else. It's a very, uh, for an old guy like me, it's going to be an education. I'm just for, first of all, learning. What the heck it is? Uh, again, he leads Tony's for Teachers, partnering with schools, museums, and libraries to promote screen-free education for children, which is what I'm going to want to talk, talk to him about the screen-free idea because I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it because I, on the advertising for it, I'm seeing people with screens, kids with screens. Screens, like phone screens. If it's screen-free, how come the kids have, <laughs> have screens? I don't get it. I'm slow. This is my problem. He uh, he has contributed to Tony's uh, being named as one of the fast company to uh, fast companies. I don't know what that means. Twenty twenty one most innovative companies in the education category. He's here with us now, ladies and gentlemen. Open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Drew Vernon to Coffee with the Dog program. Drew, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's my pleasure to have you here. All right. Let's start Tony's. What the hell is it? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Uh, well, you set it up pretty well. Uh, Tony's is a screen-free speaker system for kids. This is a Tony box. It's about a five-inch cube. It's got uh, a speaker inside. It's got a layer of foam, uh, and it's got a little platform here on top. Right. And uh, what it does is it uses little figures called Tony's to play songs and stories. So if I pinch the ear here, it's going to wake up gonna make a little sound i'm gonna put cookie monster on here he's uh one of our sesame street uh partnerships hiya it's me cookie monster welcome to me playdate oh me can't wait to play with you what's your name so it's designed for little kids to be able to play this uh story content uh songs um any type of audio content and to do it um on their own 
even without parental supervision. Gotcha. Uh, how old are these kids? Uh, it starts pretty young, uh, kind of ages two, three, four. Um, but we get into educational content, uh, nonfiction content for the older kids, you know, six to eight. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would think at some point, <laughs> it's kids would one not want to be seen with that box. You know, kids get older, like eight or nine, ten years old. I don't want to be. I don't want my friends seeing me with this box. <laughs> uh, yeah, that might be the case. Uh, it yeah, happens yeah. usually around second, third grade. Uh, yeah, so, so whose idea was this? It was, it, did, you didn't come up with the idea for it. Who invented it? Why? Yeah, it was uh, started in Germany, uh, launched in uh, 2016, about seven years ago, uh, founded by a couple of dads. They actually met on the board of their children's preschool, and they noticed that their children's teacher was using a CD player to play songs and stories, and they thought CDs are ancient. Uh, they scratch and they break, and kids can't really use them without the teacher. So that's why they created this system where kids could do it themselves. Right. Uh, now, it it's, tells a story. Is that the... Is that the bottom line here it's it's storytelling device uh yeah it really depends on the character so we have you know cookie monster here uh you know we have the very hungry caterpillar from the world of eric carl we do uh disney characters we do all sorts of songs so it really just depends on the figure that you put on the top uh whether it's a story or a song is it the same like for each character that you get? Is it the same story like over and over again, or does it have a variety of stories? So, uh, so it'll cat. have a variety of stories. If you want to move to the next story or track, you just give it a little tap. First, let's stretch. Oh boy! Oh boy! And so that's going to allow the child to move through the content. There's going to be between about thirty minutes and sixty minutes of content uh, on each figure. Now. With the idea of what children like and what's good for children as a learning uh, tool, how much research and development goes into something like this? As far as because you know, it sounds like adults trying to think what kids might respond to or, or what might be uh, beneficial is as a teaching tool for kids. But what kind of how do we how do we know that? <laughs> Uh, well, we have a snazzy uh, marketing uh, mashup word called edutainment, which uh, I don't personally care for, but it's meant to be the idea of education plus entertainment. And so yeah. it's really both sides. Uh, on the entertainment side, we're licensing with the, the most famous characters in a preschool child's world, uh, Peppa Pig, Paw Patrol, Disney, uh, Sesame Street. So we reasonably know what they're going to enjoy because they're already the top uh, preschool characters. On the educational side, we partner with National Geographic and uh, PBS Kids uh, so that we can deliver nonfiction content as well. Now, uh, um, I hate to, I don't really hate to do this. I'm saying I hate to do this because I know my audience hates when I do this, but there is a political aspect here. All this uh, stuff that you're talking about, I mean, you mentioned a couple of names in there Disney, Sesame Street. Um, and education in general, as far as how we educate our kids, it's become a hot button uh, topic among a lot. Of, and people take sides and people, because companies get involved with political stances or ideologies that they back, uh, becomes a really hot button topic. Do you have to, when you're dealing with licensing and, and dealing with companies like this, is that a concern for you as far as a business model or any of, the political ramifications of, of dealing with companies like that. Yeah. You know, we, we try to stay out of politics. I know that's not you do. entirely <laughs> possible. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, we partner with national geographic. We have a dinosaur, Tony, and we had a parent who bought it and then they were angry and returned it and said, I didn't know that this was going to teach my kid that the, that dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago. I believe in a young earth uh, you know, 7,000 year old world, uh, I'm outraged. I want a refund. And at that point we have to say, you know, national geographic is, is widely seen as reputable. We're teaching that the earth is billions of years old. If you don't subscribe to that, then we might not have the, the content that you're looking for. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And PBS comes under fire too. Uh, you know, anytime, Anytime they get in the way of somebody's political agenda, whatever it is, they become bad guys. And because PBS is, you know, partially 
funded by tax dollars and stuff. Uh, that's kind of stuff. Uh, and National Geographic gets subsidies too. It all gets political, and it shouldn't, especially when we're talking about kids. But um, you know, when it comes to uh, child learning and uh, especially young children, screen time during the pandemic increased a lot. You know, you, the, the screen free stuff that is popping, the, the phrase screen free is all over your marketing. It's all over everything for Tony's. But in the very picture uh, that says screen free, you see two cell phones in the in the picture with it. Uh, are there cell are this is this screen time involved in this? And, and if not, what am I missing here? Yeah, I'm not uh, quite certain uh, the image that you're f referring to. The box itself is entirely screen free. And so uh, the founders designed it so that kids could navigate and play the content without having uh, a user interface. Uh, and you're right with COVID, uh, especially kids are being given screens at younger ages and for longer periods of time than ever before. Uh, you know, school shut down. We, we went through this couple of year cycle where parents were giving kids Tablets, phones, uh, Netflix shows as like a babysitter uh, because right. they were working from home. The school was shut down. Now schools are back in session. A lot of uh, the session, even at young ages, is screen based. So kids are staring at the screen during school. Then they come home and they're they're watching TV all afternoon. And we're just trying to give an alternative where kids can be entertained uh, in a way that doesn't have them glued to a screen. Right. So, but you're not familiar with the, the thing I'm talking about um, with the, um, uh, is it untitled? No, it's not untitled. Excuse me. I want to find this, this picture of with, with this two, um, what do you call it? Two, two cell phones right next to the box. And it looks like, what, what, this is what's confusing me. It says screen free everywhere, all over the marketing, but there's, there's screens in the marketing too, which is confusing to a guy like that. Okay. Me. Yeah. I'd have to see the image. Uh, we, in transparency, we do have an app. Uh, we have a different kind of Tony that comes blank. It's called a creative Tony. Uh, you can record your own content on there. Uh, and so that does use a smartphone to, to speak into, to record the, the content. Like if you as a parent or grandparent, wanted to read a bedtime story and put it on the figure, you could. Uh, you do that through the recording function on the app. But the, the product itself is designed for the child uh, to be entirely screen free. Let me see. Can I do this? I just want to see this because um, ah, entire screen. Yeah, OK. You can see all this stuff now. Uh, I've seen too much here. But you see this? Uh, yeah, so that would be for the app. Uh, if you wanted to record a bedtime story, onto uh, Creative Tony. Uh, right. The parent or grandparent could do that. But for the child, it's going to be a screen-free experience. All right. F fair enough. But uh, so, but that can, you can understand my confusion because that's sure. all over the place. You see, <laughs> I'm like, screen-free. Now, screen-free, uh, why, why is that so important to keep? I, I think I know because it seems like, with my grandson anyway, once his face is in the screen, he's like, oblivious you can't talk to him when his face is on the screen but why why is uh screen free education important i think it's important for a variety of reasons the first is that screens change children's behavior uh the longer they're on screens uh the more they become entranced if you've ever tried to get a three-year-old off of a screen uh, that they've been glued to it usually doesn't end well uh usually afterwards there's a, kind of like a resettling period where the child is agitated and uh sometimes a little irritable uh, there's also uh, this just, I, I think it's an epidemic. Uh, you know, I go to these teacher conferences. I talk to hundreds, if not thousands of teachers, and there's increasing social anxiety. There's an inability to focus. There's an increasing number of children who are um, attention uh, deficit, ADD, ADHD. And I attribute a lot of that to people being glued on their screens and limiting their social interaction. Um, so I'm going to be, a, uh, not, I'm going to be a little, not confrontational, but just, uh, some things that you may not have considered here before, because I think about this. Uh, so if children are doing this, are they not modeling their parents' behavior? And, and before you answer that, if we're trying to encourage children to, to uh, put, put the screens away, and they see mom and dad doing it, like sitting on the couch and texting each other from five feet away. 
is any of this going to matter to kids who see who will model almost all their behavior after parents in in, in the long run? Can you make a dentist? I guess the question. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, I don't think that's confrontational. I think you're absolutely right. Children are going to pick up on uh, the behaviors of their parents. That's probably going to have more influence than than myself as you know the promoter of a screen free device. My goal is to hopefully set positive habits to give an alternative, to give a tool to parents to be able to give to their child, uh, how they take that as they grow and, and uh, the model that they view, and uh, that's going to be up to the parent. And uh, I, I think the, the jury's still out on whether or not uh, I can overcome the parental influence. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very difficult thing. It's like you can talk to, talk to them all day about, you know, putting the phones down. But the if minute they get home and they see that's all mom and dad do, it's real. the next day you're starting from scratch again. You're starting with the same kind of uh, lesson. Is this just in America? Is this worldwide, the, the Tonys? Uh, it started in Germany. Uh, in about seven years, they uh, were able to enter uh, about one out of every two German uh, preschool households, uh, which was a phenomenal success, getting in, you know, 50% of the market, uh, went into the United Kingdom uh, before coming to America. I was part of the team that launched this in America in 2020. Um, so now this is a, it embraces technology in a different kind of way. So you're, you're not, and may, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just phrasing this as you're not because this is um, it's morning and I, I talk very clumsily early in the morning. But uh, you're not against using technology as an educational tool. It's just a different kind of technology. Yeah, that, Would that be fair to say? Yeah, and I wouldn't even say that I'm anti-screens. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here on a screen talking to you right now. I use yeah. uh, my cell phone uh, throughout the day. Uh, I think when it comes to kids, the, the recommendation, you know, several of the associations uh, here in the U.S. will recommend no screen time for kids under two and an hour a day for kids two to five. Uh, and I would uh, challenge anybody to, to find a parent that's limiting their three-year-old to an hour a day. If, if they are, then good for them. But uh, that's not the, the common case. No, that's, uh, that's, that's uh, understandable. Now, but the idea, though, for me is that... <sighs> Technology in education, technology is changing so fast. And uh, maybe this is a uh, uh, an internal business discussion that you probably wouldn't want to have in public. But when you with a product like this, do you think uh, what, well, we got a five-year curve before the next great, or how many years, because technology changes so fast. Mm -hmm. And do you think uh, long-term for a product like this in development and how long it can actually be? be part of a children uh, child's learning thing and will it have will it be obsolete in five years does that come into play in thinking about developing a product that uses technology as a teaching tool yeah i you know people make bold predictions and they can be fantastically wrong my bold prediction is that this is a universal and uh, timeless uh device uh the technology may be tweaked here and there you know we're using rfid technology to download the content onto the box that's not particularly new technology we've got like a little docking station that the, the way that it gets charged might change uh, but stories are universal and stories have uh lasted the age of time since you know cavemen were drawing pic pictographs on cave walls and I, and I think a story and learning the storytelling process is part of every child's world and even as technology grows and screens become more and more a part of life I think there's always going to be a, a population of people who want a screen-free alternative and don't want to be glued to a visual stimulus right would you say now because it, the voice in there sounded like uh, a little bit computer generated. It, it might be just a recording and maybe it's just my old man ears. But is there any AI or any of that kind of stuff in the, you know, uh, artificial intelligence or uh, not big time artificial intelligence, but just kind of it's some use of it like uh, voice to te text to voice or any of that kind of stuff um, being used in this device? Uh, no, there's not. The, so the voice you heard was actually the voice of Cookie Monster. So we worked uh, directly with Sesame Workshop to uh, create audio content. So it's just audio playback. There's no AI involved. 
Gotcha. So as a your role is marketing, right? That that's your role for the company. Right, as a right. marketing director, you uh, get involved in research and development to see like where the future of the product is going. The are you at all like looped into the uh, how how it might be changing over time? Uh, yeah. So I have a pretty extensive background in uh, product development. Uh, I started my career at P and G. Um, uh, you know, a dozen years back uh, where I was in an upstream team uh, developing new products, uh, new product categories uh, that kind of carried through uh, my professional career. I spent some time at at Lego where I launched new products and uh, I'm very tied to the process at Tony's as well. Uh, I'm surprised. I read the Lego stuff in in your uh, bio and I was like, um, Lego needs marketing. Lego's been around since before I was born. Everybody on the planet knows what Legos are. They market themselves by in the middle of the night. By you, you know, that. <laughs> they're the one thing you're going to stub your toe on or or just hate you. So I, I just like it seemed to me that that's a product like air and water. Like they, 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 at this point, do they actually need any marketing? It was kind of <laughs> yeah. Messy. It makes my job easy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I used to. I used to tell people that the the best marketing for Lego is just to be on the shelf. Uh, yeah. If you're on the shelf, you're <laughs> right. going to sell. Uh, yeah. Tony's is different. Uh, I'm building, uh, helping build that brand from scratch. But uh, right. my time at Lego was, was definitely an easier easier time. So you talk about power of storytelling. I hear it all all the time. Now, are these original new stories that are being told through or, or written for the box or? or uh, are they um, time-tested fables? Where, where are the stories coming from? Uh, yeah, so uh, for Sesame Street, just to go back to this example, this is uh, original exclusive content to Tony's that we you know, partnered with Sesame Workshop. Uh, this is audio content you're not going to hear anywhere else. You know, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, that's a classic children's story. That is uh, going to be the, the familiar story uh, supplemented by new original uh, song content that we've produced with, uh, with that team. Uh, you know, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom is another one. That's a, a well-known story. So uh, to answer your question, it's really a mixture of uh, what people will be familiar with as well as what's brand new and exclusive to our company. Well, uh, just a side there for people, for my own personal interest and not my own, but my own things that I'm interested in. Uh, musicians have always looked for alternative ways while they're chasing their dream of being uh, the next rock star or whatever you're going to be to supplement your income, whether it be through streaming music or uh, now writing songs for <laughs> Tony's may not seem like the thing you would dreamed of when you were a teenager banging your head uh, to rock music, but... <laughs> Hey, you're opening up new opportunities for musicians to write to to be able to support themselves uh, by writing music for a new device. So I'm, I'm yeah, it just there. depends on who your uh, audience is. If you're <laughs> right. into write, writing songs for three year olds and and five year olds, then uh, it's a great opportunity for you. But you're probably not going to make it uh, with a, like a heavy metal band. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um, now, power of storytelling, and because you're involved in schools, I, I hate to, you know, I keep going back. There's a political element here because how kids are, are taught, especially in public schools in America, is such a political issue right now. And there's things like, like in Florida, they're banning language, they're banning books and stuff like that. Do you have to coordinate this with teachers? I mean, because it doesn't, it seems like the schools and and educational systems are the place where you're marketing this stuff and those places all have different hot potatoes that they they you know so do you have to coordinate the the content with them with them in advance uh not really uh, at the end of the day we're a we're a device we're a multi we're a media tool and a platform we offer different types of content. We have the blank ones where teachers can put their own audio content. Uh, if a particular Tony isn't for you or for your classroom, we encourage you not to buy it. And uh, we try not to get involved with what you should or shouldn't be exposing to kids. Uh, we're trying to do wholesome educational content. Um, if people have issues with that on a case-by-case basis, they're welcome to uh, to choose different content. Okay. Uh, but no kickback from the schools, like because they, you know, they are getting really, really uh, particular 
about you know words you can use and words you can say and 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 like it, it's really difficult to even as as a a grandparent to even have a conversation with a a, a young child anymore because who I don't want to uh, offend the parent sensibilities and who knows and what can you say and what can't you say it's not like when I was uh, a young child. I'm sure there was a lot of politically incorrect stuff, but nobody really, people weren't hyperly vigilant about what you can say and what you can't say to young children. And this, this is part of uh, the, you know, challenge here. And, and so that doesn't concern you at all. None of, none of that, none of the, that part of it, like where we're going with, with children's education and politics in America doesn't concern you at all. I think it concerns me as a parent a great deal. Uh, as a marketer, I, I try to stay out of it. But it doesn't it doesn't it affect your uh, at, on some level? Maybe maybe I'm just maybe I'm just presuming too much. But at some level, doesn't it affect your ability to market this thing? So if you were going to go, like say, into the schools in a state like Florida, who was really cracking down, you know, taking books out of the library. I don't even know what state you're in. I didn't even ask. But. Uh, um, you know, taking books out and, and and banning language and stuff like that doesn't it concern you as far as far as a business um, model? Like what where you're going with and all these schools coming up with different rules and regulations and bans? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's concerning for sure. Don't get me wrong. Like, uh, you know, we could take a stance as a company to say, you know, you shouldn't be banning Dr. Seuss. You know, some people have an issue with Dr. Seuss. Yeah, that, exactly. Um, <laughs> You know, we have Dr. Seuss figures and uh, we, we maintain uh, the stance that if you uh, are OK with Dr. Seuss, you know, I think that, hey, there's some great stories. It's, it's not, you know, deeply complicated stories. The Cat in the Hat has, I think, you know, less than 50 unique words. Um, uh, people you know. will find a reason to say that that's the end of the world. There's, there's code in the Cat in the Hat that it's just going to make us all communist and all like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you're somebody who uh, who takes umbrage uh, with the cat in the hat, I would encourage you to to select a different title, select a different piece of. But content. if they're they're in charge of the curriculum for a certain school, like that kind of freezes you out, right? That, that was my point. It's like you get yeah. Well, we have hundreds of characters. Uh, hopefully, there's something for you. If there's not something for you, you're welcome to use the the creative blank ones to put on uh, whatever content you'd like. And uh, hopefully we can uh, uh, make, you know, make you happy with, with something. Yeah. Well, you said that earlier about being able to cr uh, create your own content for it. And that, that to me, that's interesting. Um, how is that done? It's just, you, they write their own story and put it in? Yeah. So that's uh, to your earlier question about the screens on the website. So that's where the, the smartphone would come in for the teacher or for the parent. Uh, it's just simple app with, it's basically just a record button. Uh, you tap the red button, you talk into it. Uh, it can, the child can read a story. They can uh, write a poem and record it. Uh, the teacher can uh, write a lesson plan or uh, a pre-recorded uh, activity and they can save it. Uh, and then it'll transfer over to the figure. Uh, so that the next time you put the figure on the box, it'll play back the audio content. So it gets, it gets associated with this particular figure, the content that created, that's pretty cool. Exactly. Yeah. And so we have a lot of grandparents. They live far away from their grandkids. Uh, they can read a bedtime story every night um, under their phone and um, the, the child can hear from grandpa anytime they want. Any chance now, maybe uh, this is where future product development, I don't even know if this is even actually a thing, like uh, developing their own characters. Because my, my uh, grandson got a 3D printer for his birthday the other day and I was like this is insane I mean uh, what I would have done with that as, as a kid but so it seemed like those little figurines that you have they that should be something the kid could make in a 3D printer uh, can they come up with their own characters to trigger their own stories we uh, yes with a caveat so um <laughs> Uh, we have a, a very uh, passionate community of uh, Tony fans that will actually uh, remove the RFID chip from a character and they will put it into another character. Um, <laughs> like if there's if there's a figure that uh, we don't have a Tony for, 
you can remove the RFID chip and put it in, or you could 3D print something. Uh, I have to disclaim that that's not a, a condoned uh, yeah, <laughs> practice yeah, yeah. Uh, from the company. Uh, the removal process is, is quite um, uh, technical. And uh, if you're using knives, it could be dangerous. Um, so I wouldn't recommend it, but I, I can acknowledge that it does happen. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, they, if there's anything that has to do with technology, people will figure out a way to hack it without a doubt. Yeah, exactly. What, one of the things in uh, the PDF that I got for you was, and it said suggested topics, and said how to teach the creative process to children. I have spent hundreds of hours on this program and my nighttime program talking with artists, adults, about the creative process, and they don't even, none of them, they're all successful artists and creators, lifelong creators, and trying to understand their individual creative process and none of them really have a clue they don't even think about it i spend all my time thinking about creative process because there are a million ways to write a song there are a million ways to approach writing a story there are a million ways to bake a cake and uh, i think if you can identify the ones that work and kind of make them systematic not to make a science out of uh, art into science but to have some kind of structure that you can work from to expedite the, the workflow of it, that's a good thing. So I try to understand that a lot. How to teach the creative process to children seems I can't even get through to adults who, who are creators about this idea of creative process. What do you mean about teaching creative process to children and how do you even begin with that? Tough question. Yeah, I, uh, you know, creativity is a huge topic. And to your point, I think you can spend your whole life on learning it and refining it. I think that there's, uh, there are a few elements that seem to uh, maybe incubate the creative process. I think um, there's, a, I believe, a professor named Natalie Nixon, who says it's the combination of wonder, plus rigor. So the wonder comes from, you know, the ideation of imagining a world that doesn't exist yet, uh, that could be, uh, and you match that with the, the rigor of actually putting pencil to paper uh, and, you know, trying to manifest it or um, make it come to life. Uh, the way that I usually describe the creative process uh, takes me back to my time at Lego and, you know, don't get me wrong, Lego is a great company. I love my time there. But it used to bother me that 95% of what they sold was a box of bricks that you dump out and it has an instruction book. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. You follow 100 steps and you've got a rocket ship at the end. And that's construction. That's building. That's a type of play but it's a very structured type of play. And then you say, well, we also sell the big buckets of yellow bricks. Okay. So you dump out the yellow bricks and you tell your kid to build a rocket ship and they spend five or 10 minutes and they build like a puny little thing. And it looks nothing like the instruction um, rocket ship. And so the, the idea for me and what I like to teach kids is, is you have to bridge that gap. Like how do you go from a completely unstructured experience with no instructions to the completely dictated experience that gets you the fantastic build. Well, I do that uh, by what I, I call it the guided masterpiece because you're not giving step-by-step -step instructions, but you're giving creative prompts and you're giving guardrails and, and creativity loves constraints. You don't tell them exactly what they have to create, but you give them elements of guardrails that are going to help them get to that next step. I you totally know? love that approach. Um, I can simplify that, what that means to me because I'm a very simple person. I am a huge fan of the late Bob Ross painter guy. And he used to say, well, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just showing you how to do it. What you paint and, and what you create is entirely up to you. And that's the kind of kid I would have been. I, I Listen, Legos were around when I was a, a small child. I don't think I ever bothered with the instructions never once cared about the instructions at all it was a, it was an opportunity to see what i could create so the question i got for you is really can creativity be taught or nurtured because like kids like me you know i'm gonna create 
I was always going to create at three or four years old. That was what I wanted to do. I didn't care about what I was supposed to be, what they wanted me to build with it. Can that be, I guess you're going to say yes, or, or, or you wouldn't be in the field that you're in, but can it be nurtured and taught to create creativity in, in general? Yeah. I mean, it might come down to semantics. Like, can you teach creativity? Maybe not. Can you teach the creative process? Yes. Can it be uh, cultivated and refined through practice? I believe so. Um, I think creativity always requires like an inspiration or a stimulus and it requires a manipulation or um, an addition to that stimulus. So you have to make it your own. You have to uh, add something and, and usually it's something unexpected or something distinct or unique or memorable and it's taking that idea and making it your own that's going to turn it into something um, beautiful or something innovative or something that other people want to take part of. Right. Um, do you have small children of your own? I do. I have three, uh, ranging in age from 13 to 6. 13 to 6. So, yeah, you you definitely uh, are prepared or, or, or well qualified to talk about where what i'm going to talk about now and uh after this I, i'll let you go but uh i with all the covid pandemic that we had and we talked about the the um impact it had on schools and, and children's learning as a society did we learn anything from that experience that we can apply because i feel like it's just a matter of time. That was a train, you know, a training exercise for a much worse pandemic. And you know, these things happen for. I hate to sound too spiritual about this because this is not me, but things do happen for a reason. I think that was an uh, opportunity to learn something. I feel like we missed it. We did. We spent so much time arguing about right and wrong, and uh, kids should be doing this and they shouldn't be doing that. That I don't think we we cashed in on the opportunity to pre prepare to prepare for future pandemics, which could be a lot worse than COVID. Your feelings on that? Did we learn anything about about what to do when, God forbid, some act happens and we have to shut the schools down and we're we're faced with a situation where kids have to learn at home and all that stuff? Did we learn anything that we can put to use? Uh, you know, if you'd asked me like two years ago in the middle of it, I probably would have said, yeah, we're learning so much with the world has changed. You know, people are uh, quitting their jobs because they're realizing that the, the grind isn't worth it. And they're, you know, moving to the country and they're spending time with their kids. And, you know, we're all kumbaya because we've done this big, challenging thing together. And now as a people and a society, like we're ready to face the next challenge. Uh, I think, you know, here we are in 2023. Uh, I'm probably a little bit more cynical um, now. I, I think a lot of things have reverted back to the way they were. Uh, we've kind of forgotten the lessons. We've, we've gotten back to political squabbling. Uh, I hope that there's some learnings, but uh, I'm not completely convinced that we have learned uh, what we probably could have learned. Well, that's that's sad, but I have to uh, I'll take your side there, and I, I'm kind of in agreement on on that, and that's sad to me. But it see it would seem to me as a parent, especially a parent of young children, and if doing what you're doing for a living, you have to cultivate an op attitude of optimism, and that's that's a difficult thing in these times. Uh, so I, I don't envy you having to deal with that. Ch challenge yourself to express, to have the ideas that you just expressed and to cultivate an attitude of op optimism on a daily basis to go about doing your job as a parent and a marketing uh, uh, guy for a device that is meant to impact children's lives in a, pa a past, uh, positive way difficult uh, road to kind of balance yes yeah i mean you have to be optimistic if you're not optimistic you know what what are we living for uh you know i my goal is to you know empower enable the, the future generation and you teach them the storytelling process teach them the creative process get them to learn to love stories and learn to love reading uh, i love stories they, yeah <laughs> hopefully they can learn how to be innovative hopefully they can uh overcome challenges heaven knows like not just with the political things but you know climate is increasing concern um climate change uh these kids are inheriting uh you know generations and generations of problems and you know our generation you know hasn't done the greatest 
at uh, at leaving behind something, uh, you know, sustainable for our children. And so I'm hoping that we can do our part in the time that we have and that we can enable uh, the next generation to hopefully do better than we did. That would be a great place to end this. But I, as you're talking, uh, uh, I, I have one more thought, that, and I, I want to get your perspective on this. Being an old guy like me, my whole life I've noticed <clears throat> as people get older, ah, this young generation, they don't know. Anything. You know, the, the, we, people my age or people 20 years younger than me or every generation looks down on the generation coming up and thinks negative things about them. My experience doing this program, I've had some incredible young people. I had a 13-year-old girl on who was authored seven novels. She's very successful. Her last novel was uh, 890 pages or something. Of, and it, sound, it, it did not feel like a 12-year-old wrote it. It felt like a very smart adult wrote it. So, but I know this, the kids now have a bad rap, and I can see where that comes from. We do have... In my opinion, I'm different than the many generations before me because I look back and I say, these younger generation are great and terrible at the same time. You have kids that are disconnected and never going to be connected into society or want to add value to society. And then you have like one kid I had was a 17 year old evolutionary biologist who's doing TED talks and he's already got his master's degree at 17 years old, like kids wow. knocking it out of the ballpark and kids who were just slacking it up. Do you see that divide growing in the future and getting worse? Or do you, first of all, do you even agree with me that that's, that's a, I actually do. Um, and, you know, this gets into a different topic that we don't have time to explore. But, you know, there's a duality in a lot of things in life. And I think you're describing this paradox of kids can be like the worst, uh, <laughs> but just terrible. Um, but they can also be just like amazing and innovative and simple and innocent. And I think it's both of those things like um, and the, the, on the terrible side, it's probably because of the parents and the, the parents' behavior that they're modeling. So we can't really even blame them too much. I agree, but I would, and I just say that it was assumed that the uh, the thirteen year old who had offered or authored uh, seven books, it was people assumed that her parents were like like really strict and really uh, like driven and and driving the kid and it turned out the parents were kind of hands off and she she was a self-disciplinarian and she was talking to me about uh, delaying her own gratification when she came home from school she was going to write a thousand words every day but she won't allow her any herself any tv time or any snack time until she finished those thousand words i was like yeah and your parents didn't put this on you no they don't even know <laughs> well, I see it in my own kids as well. You know, I'm parenting all of my kids roughly the same way, and, and they're turning out very different. And some of them are uh, much more ambitious and dedicated and disciplined than, than maybe some of the others. Very, very cool. I'm glad to hear that. Now, Tony's, I, I have the uh, uh, URL going across the screen. It's us.tonys.com, T-O-N-I-E-S. Uh, uh, is it available in stores? People, uh, you buy it on stores or you only buy it online? Uh, you can find it on our website, on Amazon. You can see it in uh, Target, um, Best Buy, uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, we'll be in, in other retailers later in the year. Very cool. Well, I wish you success with it, and uh, I, hope, I hope to hear more about it. You know, this is the first I've heard about it. Uh, I'm sure young parents probably know about it, but, you know, me, I'm, I'm just an old guy. I don't well, know. You're probably it. not following all the uh, influencer uh, TikTok moms. So uh, I no, I, I, when it comes to anything pop culture, I am clueless until somebody comes on the program and enlightens me about it. You've done that today. I appreciate you being here and I wish you great success with it. US.tonys.com, folks. Check it out. Thanks. Uh, Drew, have a great day and thanks for being part of the show. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Bye. To Vernon, uh, let me know what you think, folks. We got some young parents out out, out in the uh, audience there. I'd uh, love to know what you think about um, this kind of met methodology of uh, teaching students about the power of storytelling or storytelling in education and the device itself. I mean, it looks, it looks cool if you're a little kid. I mean, but to me, I, this, is, this is why I started off in the beginning. There is... When you're a kid like that, there's an age where you don't want to be seen as a little kid anymore. 
<laughs> and I think carrying the the box around um, tells the older kids, "Oh, look, you're still playing with you know, thirteen <laughs> you know, year old or something." You could see a lot of that, a lot of uh, teasing and all that kind of stuff going on. But um, I do think that there's a lot of value in that, and uh, uh, you know, I I appreciate the effort to try to. Get through the kids, get them off the, you know, devices. And But coming back to my original point on this, it's really hard if we're going to set an example of sitting on the couch texting the person next to you. Or, in my case, my wife will text me from the other room. Like, she could just yell. Really, the house is is not that big. She could just yell what it is, but instead she'll text me from the other room. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But we don't have any small children. But if we did, we'd be setting a terrible example of um, how to live and expecting them to learn the, you know, to not be that is a really hard, unrealistic expectation. Anyway. That's uh, that's all I got for you on that. Let's see what else. What what was I talking about before uh, Drew came in? Um, I think that was it on the weather stuff. We are going to have the coldest day of the year here. I know uh, the people who were experiencing the freeze out and power outages in Texas and Arkansas and down there. Uh, the cold has moved on. I'm not sure if they everybody's got their power back yet. We hope everybody's doing okay. We are in for uh, some brutal two days here. I think this is the winter, these two days in in the northeast where I am. I think from here on, according to the 10-day forecast after that, it's going to start to warm up a little bit. Then we're into mid-February. Spring training starts. We're on our way to spring. I don't know what the dopey uh, little rodent saw yesterday, a shadow or no shadow or whatever that means. But I think we are, if we get past these two days, um, things will be uh, on the road to Matt's spirits <laughs> lifting and, and becoming more optimistic as we get closer to spring. Because let's face it, as an old person, the Florida-bound uh type of guy a guy who belongs in florida playing shuffleboard uh winters are not good for me uh but here's the thing the saying winters are not good for me today i have to go host and shoot direct an episode of tasting new york for next week because uh, we're changing the host who was the host of the show has moved on. Well, I'll put it that way. And we don't have a show for next week. And the studio head said to me, I'm relying on you to get me an episode for next week while we're still looking for a new host. So that means I'm going to be out in the cold. Going, and, you know, I'm not going to spend, I'm going to an Italian restaurant pizza place <laughs> to do an episode of Tasting New York. Some of it will be shot outside. Most of it will be inside and warm, but there's some of it that has to be shot outside and some of the intro stuff. So I'm not looking forward to it. I've got myself all full of anxiety and uh, just not, uh, just dreading having to go out in the cold. Now, my wife left this morning and told me how cold it was. She got in her car. She brought like three extra coats just in case. What if I break down and have to walk in this stuff? It's terrible. Eskimo weather. Again, I don't know if you heard me in the beginning, but they're talking about wind chills of negative 65. 65 below zero. Lastly, I'll go. Uh, I'll leave with this. Uh, my friend Carl, he was on the program last week. I know he was on the program last week. And then I saw him on Twitter today saying he just got back from eight days in Brazil. I think eight days ago he was on this program. Now, of course, it's possible to go to Brazil in eight days and be back and but he didn't even mention he was going to Brazil. He didn't say anything about Brazil. And all I hear is, wow, that was a quick, the shortest trip to Brazil I've ever had, eight days and back. Well, he did. You were here eight days ago. He didn't say anything about going to Brazil. 
I did notice he had been off Twitter a lot, but and he was streaming. So I'm streaming from Twitch a couple of days ago and popped in on that. I don't know. I'm confused by it. That's all I know. Um, anyway, you don't listen to the program. I do listen to the program. I don't, not all day long. I'm not like you, Kelly. And I'm, I shouldn't even be talking to Kelly. I just caught myself doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. Shouldn't be talking to Kelly, but Kelly says you don't listen to the program. I pop into his program. I stay for as long as I can, but I can't. I, I'm a busy man. I'm not like you. I don't sit around flicking the bean all day. I'm sorry. I just going to overuse that phrase until it means nothing anymore. Anyway, it's a Friday. Enjoy your weekend. Watch Tasting New York at 6 p.m. tonight, if you will. Tasting New York. Subscribe to their our YouTube channel, YouTube slash Tasting New York. It's just that simple. Uh, we have a show coming on tonight from that meatball place in Patchogue, New York. Um, so anyway, that's that's the deal. Have a great weekend. I don't know if I'm going to do any uh, weekend shows. I might. You know what? One last time before I can go give money to Olivia Grace and, and share this GoFundMe. Olivia Grace, you very uh, young comedian, still very young, but not getting any younger. Uh, needs a uh, kidney surgery and has a GoFundMe. She needs help. Young comedian. You know a young comedian doesn't have a health care plan. Come on. Or health insurance. How could she? She's a comedian. They don't. It's <laughs> you don't get a healthcare when you're a performer and a young performer at that probably has not built up um, any financial foundation to buy private health insurance. So she needs kidney surgery. She's got a GoFundMe page, and the money's increasing. But she has a goal of twenty five thousand dollars. She's not there yet. Desperately needed for surgery. And she's young. And she has a whole life ahead of her if she can get the surgery to take care of her. So take care of that. Again, uh, GoFundMe.com slash F. I don't know why F. Save hyphen Olivia hyphen Grace's hyphen kidney. There you go. Anyway, thanks for being part of the show. Um, Kelly saying, Carl did say he didn't tell anyone he just left. Right. He didn't tell anyone he just left and didn't tell anyone until he was back. But I saw him the other night. He was in the gym, and I just assumed he was in Manchester in a gym. Uh, but he was in Brazil in the gym. Anyway, thanks for that information. Now go flick your bean. <laughs> Have a great day. Enjoy your coffee. I will. I'm out of here. I'm going to go uh, eat pizza on t on television. See you. Bye.
me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.